kun ranguri ran radio drum di ruk drin bong bong hain bong kang bong di bugan di gri. Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me over in the Netherlands is Christophe Grancio-Kulitz. And I'm sure that I said your name better the first time. That's not a problem. That was good. That was good. That was good. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay. So we are going to be talking about Ainu which is a natural language. It's a language isolate of uh, northern Japan. Uh, More details on that in a second. First, I want to make a note. Um, Conlangery is entirely funded by patrons. And so recently I have reworked the uh, rewards that people get for pledging to Conlangery. First of all, everybody down to $1 a month is going to be listed on the site now, just because that's easy. I don't know why I had it just at $5 a month before. It's it's not a big deal to list anybody. But you get some more tangible rewards going up there. $5 or more, you're going to get the episodes early, at least a day early, up to a week early, depending on my production schedule. or more, when I do a short, you are going to get the script beforehand and be able to comment on it before I record. And then $20 a month or more, the only thing that changed there is before I had it so that you would be getting a shout out on the next episode, and I thought about that and the number of patrons I have at $20 a month, and I decided you're just going to get listed at the ending credits that I have on every episode. Uh, so as long as you're paid up at, at $20 a month, you're going to be mentioned there. So that's the changes that I've made, and hopefully that gives people a little bit more sort of rewards for helping support us. Now, moving along... Let's get back to Ainu. It is a language isolate. Uh, It used to be much more widespread than it is. Uh, Right now, Ainu is mostly on the island of Hokkaido, the the northernmost island of Japan. Hokkaido is the northernmost of the the major islands, right? Yes, yes. It's the... It's the, it's the big island, the big of the of the big four. It's the the northernmost. Yes. Yes, and indeed, Ainu used to be spoken in a much larger region, including even the uh, <clears throat> most eastern part of Russia, Sakhalin, which, when you look at on the map, is actually very close to Hokkaido. So, which explains why they are they they were there as well. It was also spoken on the uh, uh, on a, a wild uh, part of Honshu as well. Uh, but it's receded when the uh, uh, ethnic Japanese uh, uh, moved up north and uh, took on the uh, the entire of the of uh, of modern Japan, basically. Right, and it's been receding, and it's been uh, you know the the Japanese have, I believe the that the major ethnic group is called Yamato Japanese, if you want to be technical, have yeah. have. Um, have pushed them out, and 
many people will know that Japan sort of presents itself as a homogenous nation and that you know that comes with them sort of repressing these indigenous groups both both the Ainu and and um, the speakers of the Ryukyuan languages I'll yes yes in more uh, yeah in more in the south they're like uh, in Okinawa and such thing like that yeah, yeah indeed yeah so like since like the 19th century Ainu's been contracting like that because of Japanese incursions. And you may have seen in the news recently that Japan was giving the Ainu um, some recognition that they hadn't, but uh, we're, we're going to be posting in a, um, a an article that will break that down and mention, you know, that seems to be much more of a PR thing than anything really substantial. And it's still like the it's there's they still don't have the autonomy that they should have exactly they do not have uh, any say in uh, uh, in what which part of their culture they're allowed to uh, uh, to keep that's done by a council which is mostly uh, populated by uh, by japanese people uh, there has been a single person on that uh, uh, council for the last few years, that has been uh, that is of Ainu descent. Mm-hmm. Before before that, before they started kind of recognizing the Ainu people, there was an uh, active policy of basically erasing anything that had to do with the Ainu culture. The Ainu were not allowed to speak their language. They had to take on Japanese names. They had to speak uh, Japanese. They were punished. They were put in jail for speaking uh, uh, their own language. Uh, so um, most Ainu nowadays, uh, basically people uh, people that are ethnically Ainu don't speak their language at all, and the language is basically critically endangered. Yeah. There, there are no still living native speakers of Ainu, as in, as in people who learn Ainu as their first language. Yeah. All the uh, the ones that uh, 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 that lived after died now. The, and uh, the worst part of it is that uh, um, interest in Ainu has only surged from the 70s, and by then most of the uh, uh, still native speakers of Ainu were already in their 60s or 70s. Uh, most wouldn't uh, even speak Ainu of being afraid of uh, uh, repercussions. So um, most of the knowledge we have now of Ainu comes from uh, recordings made in the uh, in the eight, 90s or, or later of people who were already in their 90s. I mean, the um, uh, the, the uh, book I uh, linked to the um, uh, the person they they got all that st- those texts from was something like 94 at the time of the uh, uh, she was interviewed. So this means we we lost a lot. Of knowledge about the language just because of the way the Japanese have been treating the the Ainu people. Yeah, and I I just wanted to say these things up front because we're going to be going into our normal thing of we're going to geek out about this language and uh, and talk all about you know things that could be inspirational to conlangers and all that stuff because that's still what this show's about. But I think it's important. Uh, going forward, as we're talking about natural languages, sometimes it's good to highlight like these are 
the languages of real people and they have a lot of cultural meaning and there are these things that happen. This is not a unique situation. Similar things have happened in my own country in the United States to a lot of different cultures. And uh, we've, we've mentioned some of those languages and maybe not exactly talked enough about the, that part of the situation. Uh, but uh, yeah, I wanted to get that out up front. But now we're going to get into what's cool about Ainu. Yeah. yeah. What isn't? <laughs> yeah. And and uh, we are working from uh, Christophe sent me the main source we're going to be looking at. We've we've got several things for you, but the main thing we're going to talk about is the uh, is it Bugeva um, grammar from two thousand four. Yeah, based on the Chitose dialect of Ainu, and that's it. You know, that's an interesting thing. Um, Chitose had a different name in in Ainu that was changed because it was inauspicious in Japanese. That tells you a little bit about the situation. Um, yes, but this grammar, uh, we we got it for it for people because it's reasonably complete and it's freely available. It is based on the idiolect of one speaker, which it, this is something that happens when you're looking at endangered languages, but it's, it's got a lot of information and Christoph, you have given me, uh, I like to have you on because you give me lots of notes and you're very excited about all these things. So um, <laughs> yes. why don't you take it away and start, you know, giving me some some information let's let's start working through what the interesting points about time i i knew are okay well i'll start with uh, uh just getting out of the way uh like you said i knew is an isolate uh, uh whether it's a language or a group of languages is uh, uh you can Discuss that until you weigh one ounce. Um, there were mostly two, two groups of dialects. One which was uh, the, on the Russian side, uh, uh, side of Sakharin, and one which, one which was centered mostly on Hokkaido. Mm -hmm. But like I said, with an endangered language, it's very difficult to know exactly how things were, uh, were because there we only have information from a few informants. Uh, uh, still, so mostly we consider Ainu to be a single language with uh, quite a, a, a viable uh, dialects. Its isolate is not related to Japanese. There are uh, Jap Japanese and Ainu have some uh, things in common, but it's the uh, resemblances are basically skin deep. Basically, like Japanese, Ainu is mainly uh, SOV, subject, object, verb, word order. It's head final. Um, it has optional plural marking on persons and it, ca it has case postpositions as well as uh, end of uh, sentence clitics, for instance. But that's about it. The, uh, uh, the, the details are different. The, uh, the, the main way in which nouns um, decline, in which verbs conjugate are very different. So it's uh, the, basically that's all that's uh, uh, similar to Japanese. Yeah, right. And um, I I had noted that as well, and the the main reason to for bringing that up is 
um, it seems that sort of Ainu fits into like a larger Sprachmund in that way, because there's a lot of SOV head final languages in that um, Korean is is also SOV and head final. And, you know, there's a lot in Northern Asia that are. And people like, I have one source that I'm not even going to link to, but was trying to, as an older source that was trying to make Ainu into Altaic, which um, yes. the, the, we're, I, we don't, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time arguing like language families, but generally my take on Altaic, um, albeit sort of limited, is that it's not actually a language family. It is like probably to the extent that it means anything it may be just this sprechbund effect where we have a lot of of languages that are have sort of similar syntactic features at the same time ainu unlike japanese has tons of agreement morphology um where japanese has zero <laughs> and then um you, you mentioned that it doesn't it doesn't have tense marking where japanese does so obviously and you know, if you are going to look at the two languages side by side, you will see that they are definitely very different, and and there's not really it's 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 definitely going to be an isolate. Um, and then Japonic is another isolate family. Um, yeah, indeed, indeed. The uh, if, even when you look at text, the uh, you notice immediately the difference. In that Ainu does have uh, 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 syllables ending in consonants, doesn't have much. It's uh, it has a very sim simple syllabic structure, but it uh, but it it can it it has CV and CVC uh, 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 syllables. That by itself is not that much, but the main thing is like if you were going to prove a relationship, you would have to have evidence for it. Anyway, let's. Let's move on from that. I didn't mean for that to, to be extended too long, but yeah, um, uh, let's let's actually get into the meat of talking about I knew itself. And um, okay, yeah, okay. So I knew. Um, I'll start with sim simple things. Uh, I knew nouns, as in Japanese, once again basically do not have any kind of uh, changes. The uh, nouns that refer to persons and some animals can take a plural, uh, uh, a plural suffix, which is utar, which is uh, basically the word utar, which means people. And that's something you will notice as I describe Ainu, is that a lot of uh, Ainu's morphology is, extreme, is very, very transparent. It's as if it's uh, it was uh, uh, as if Ainu is mostly on the first stage of grammaticalizing stuff. So plenty of uh, of um, agglutination, uh, postposition, plenty yeah. of yeah, lot of agglutination, and uh, a lot of the stuff that is used uh, uh, morphologically still has a meaning as a as a pl plain noun or something else. So it's it's quite uh, it's it's very transparent. Uh, which is very useful for conlangers because it can help you see ideas for uh, where things can come from, where where grammatical morphemes can come from in terms of lexical items. Exactly, 
exactly. So uh, nouns, like I said, the uh, apart from that, they basically do not change. They don't have gender, uh, uh, at least not as a, a grammatical category. Uh, the uh, the three core roles are not marked. They are basically marked by word order and uh, agreement on the verb. Partial. I'll get back to that when I when I talk about the verb. So basically, subject, object, and indirect object, whatever that can mean in uh, uh, depending on the verb. They are all uh, marked simply by uh, by word order and agreement on the on the verb. Um, all the uh, uh, oblique roles are marked by postpositions, a bit like Japanese again, but different postpositions. Uh, for instance, there is a, a, a what was it? Uh, yeah, kusu, which means basically because of. Uh, you have a comitative tura, uh, an instrumental which is ari. So instrumental said by means uh, uh, comitative is just with with a person. Uh, but most important are the locative postpositions, which are somewhat more uh, used than the other ones. Now, the main ones are ta, which means, which is basically location and movement to, uh, uh, to and goal. So, uh, so to or at. Uh, un, which is more uh, uh, movement towards, towards uh, so to or towards, and wa, which means from. Interesting part about those is that you can't add them directly to, uh, to most nouns. Only a very small subset of the nouns, which uh, are usually called postpositional nouns, can take those uh, postpositions directly. For other nouns, you need to put some some uh, some, some some positioning in between. Usually a word like or or oro, which means place. Uh, only thing that nouns do have, which in Ainu, which is interesting, is that um, uh, they have, of quite a lot of those nouns, have a special possessive form, uh, which is formed by adding an H and followed by a copy of the uh, uh, of the last uh, vowel, or uh, just a copy of last vowel when it's a noun which ends as a consonant. And then you just put on uh, the uh, uh, one of the verbal affix for person to, to talk about that per uh, who's owning this. When you're using a, a noun, you just put it in front. It's it's marking the the possessed noun, right? Yes, it's marking the possessed noun, and the possessor is is unmarked. It's just put in front. Uh, not all nouns do that, and it's mostly for um, uh, how you call that. Um, uh, inalienable possession. So, to when you uh, when you're talking about um, family uh, ties or about uh, uh, parts of body, things like that. Uh, for in uh, alienable po uh, possession, the Ainu are very simple. They simply use the, uh, uh, use a relative subclause with a with a verb to have, which is core. And as in Japanese, once again, uh, uh, similarity with Japanese uh, relative subclause of forms by simply putting a clause in front of a noun without anything. You don't have to change the verb. You don't have to put uh, a, a relative pronoun anywhere. Just put the sentence before the noun. And they do that a lot. That That is that is an interesting way, to, uh, fact about it, the way that relative clauses. I wonder if that is a Sprechman thing like one of them influenced the other on that one um it's not unheard of it's 
kind of relative clauses are in that position. It's a little bit less common to have relative clauses precede a noun than follow a noun, but it's not it's not a totally unusual thing. Um, yeah, so the that's that's an interesting part. Uh, and the uh, let's talk a little bit about agreement morphology. I think you have that coming up next. Uh, the verbs are very interesting. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, the verbs are very interesting and, and, and the verbs are really important in Ainu because one thing I want to mention before I start on the verbs is that uh, there are no adjectives in Ainu, none at all. There is nothing, no class of, of, of uh, uh, words in Ainu that maps to anything adjective-like some kind of of, uh, of proclitics, but whether they they, they would count uh, demonstratives, for instance. But most adjectives are verbs, basically stative verbs, intransitive verbs, or everything we understood that adjectives are are, simp are simply verbs like when, which means to be bad. Uh, uh, so so everything that I say about uh, verb morphology works for anything that we would consider adjectives. So basically, the uh, the verb is um, well it can happen a lot can happen with a with an Ainu verb except one thing it doesn't have tense there is no tense morphology in verbs uh, but what it has is basically the main thing is that is polypersonal agreement Ainu verbs agree in a person with the subject and if they are transitive with the with, uh, with their object detransitive verbs only take two agreement affixes so basically one for the for the subject and one for one of the objects which one it is is basically when one is a is a person so when one is a first person or second person it takes this one and uh, um, it's basically context that helps to uh, uh, to decide whether it's uh, it's the uh, direct object or indirect object it's usually quite clear right. in sentences so uh, yeah, and the interesting part about these uh, uh, affixes is that um, first third person is never marked on the verb, whether singular and plural. First and second person is marked for singular and plural. So there is there that's one way or to know when uh, when uh, a subject or object is singular or plural is to look at the uh, the agreement on the verb. Uh, there is an interesting uh, agreement on an on an indefinite subject or object so it doesn't uh, uh, there is no agreement for definite third person but there is agreement for an indefinite third person and the most uh, interesting part about it is that for some of the persons the agreement is tripartite basically the subject of intransitive verbs is marked differently from the subject of transitive verbs and differently from the object of transitive and verbs. And that's that's an interesting thing to happen is you get some tripartite marking and a language in a language that otherwise seems to have nominative accusative uh, marking on the verb. Um, there is one source and I apologize that I didn't really like spend the time to really get the argument and be able to make a judgment on it. But I do have one source that takes those facts and tries to argue that Ainu has a direct inverse system. 
Um, so people can read that for themselves and, and take a look at it from what I know about direct inverse systems. And I just know a little bit because I, because of, um, uh, just a little bit of understanding of Algonquin and a little bit of looking it's, if it's direct inverse, it's a little bit that, that analysis is going to have some like weird parts to it. It's not like a really solid example. Um, otherwise analyzing it with this like tripartite marking for some things seems to, seems to be, um, like the way that a lot of people analyze it. Um, but yeah, anyway, moving on to that. So, hmm? okay. Yeah. Yeah. So basically you've got, um, uh, these affixes and there can be, they're mostly prefixes. And there are a few suffixes, and that happens to be those ones that uh, that have that tripartite uh, uh, marking in which the subject of intransitive verbs has a suffix instead of a prefix. And that's, strangely enough, only the first person plural right. and the indefinite third person. And uh, one thing I'm, uh, I, I need to add, indefinite third, third person is... Uh, there's only one. There is no s uh, separate marking for indefinite singular or indefinite plural. There or words, uh, at least in that dialect, that uh, refer to an indefinite uh, person in the singular or in the plural, pronouns, uh, uh, person, pr personal pronouns that, uh, that, that work that way. But that's something that's specific to that dialect. Other dialects just have a single uh, personal person from the indefinite. And even more strangely, that indefinite pattern yeah. with the... Yeah, uh, and uh, it, it was a different dialect that was doing the, that someone did the direct inverse analysis for you by the way that that's uh saru yeah which yeah it's, so uh, that's another thing about that another thing that you have listed here that is interesting to me is the first person plural is an exclusive plural yes and and uh to do the the first person inclusive you have to do you end up using the indefinite person as a first person, right? Exactly. The indefinite person is used quite a lot in different ways. It's used uh, to mark an indefinite or uh, irrelevant uh, uh, subject or object. It's used, uh, like I said, to like you said, to uh, to mark uh, a first person inclusive, so you and me. But it's also used in stories to mark the first person singular. Because in stories, basically, in the uh, Ainu stories are mostly uh, spoken in the uh, in the first person, so it's basically the the main character who who tells his story, his or her story, mostly his story, and uh, some somehow in order to separate the narrator from the actual uh, character, they use the uh, uh, the indefinite person as a replacement for the first person whenever it's used with the agreement marking of the f uh, of the indefinite. So they use the personal pronoun of the indefinite for that uh, for that as well, and every agreement, uh, also p uh, possessive agreement, uh, uh, happens in the indefinite. Uh, some people call that basically a quotative first person. So and and from what I understood, they use that as well when they are simply quoting somebody else instead of quoting them in That's the first person. That's a really they use the interesting thing, and it's 
something that like a lot of conlangers might not get into because it's a discourse thing, but that's a it's a really interesting thing that yeah. It almost doesn't necessarily matter what you're grabbing grammatically. It's just that this indefinite is available, I guess. And that's what people have come to use for what you're calling this quotative first person, where you are speaking in the voice of someone else in the first person, but you use the indefinite to, to, to highlight that this is a story and it's someone else's voice. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just to make matters more complicated, the indefinite person can also be used as a second person uh, polite. I wonder if they use as the inclusive is like an extension of that politeness thing. Like you, you, yeah, you're not, you're trying not to overtly mention your interlocutor, but keep it like, a, uh, like a, a, an understood thing. Yeah, it's uh, by the way, it's only one of the ways to talk to to someone politely because they can also do a very, uh, I would nearly say, very European thing of using the the second person plural instead of per second person singular to refer to someone in a polite way. That's done as well. So they are the two are competing in terms of how to uh, to uh, talk to somebody to, to someone politely. Like that makes me. Uh, I I have started to think that using the plural as a politeness thing. You said it's a European thing, but I mean, it's very common in Europe um, among the Indo-European languages of Europe, but I've seen it in other languages in Asia as well. The The Chinese formal you pronoun comes from a, uh, from a historical plural that was contracted. Uh, Tagalog also has that. Um, I'd have to like actually. I think Walls has information on this, uh, but I think that I, I think that it's probably a pretty common thing for uh, the second person plural to become a polite second person or be co-opted for as that for a second use of it. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll move on uh, in a second from the uh, uh, personal agreement. Just to mention one thing, the, the Ainu copula, which is ne, so basically the verb, the equivalent of the, of the verb to be for, uh, um, uh, to, to equate uh, uh, things for identification, for instance, is kind of weird in that uh, in most verbs, the intransitive verb takes the, the intransitive affixes, Transitive verbs takes the uh, subject of transitive uh, and object of transitive uh, uh, affixes. The uh, copula takes transitive verb subject prefixes, but no objects, uh, object prefixes, which is kind of weird. So it behaves, it, be, it behaves like a transitive, but doesn't take the object uh, affixes. Yeah. And that's a, an interesting thing. The argument structure for a copula is a little bit just weird in general, like in any language. So it's that's not unexpected to me. It's a good thing to highlight um, that just copulas, the, like what is the object of a copula anyway, if you, if you think about it? It's not, the, the, it's not describing action on anything. If, if you have a noun 
in the subject and the object position for a copula, it's not actually semantically one acting on the other. It's these two things are the same thing. This is an identity relationship usually. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, basically I knew, uh, uh, show that by, uh, turning the copula into something that's transitive, but without object affixes, which I, I think it's neat. <laughs> Definitely. Copulas can end up with odd things just because of the, the semantics of them and how that would interact with grammar. Um, Okay. okay, so now moving on, because there's a lot more happening with verbs, um, Ainu has an enormous amount of affixes that do uh, 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 valency changes. Uh, there is a causative, which, is, um, which has multiple formations depending on the verb, and uh, some are kind of uh, slightly irregular. Uh, but mostly ends with an uh, with an uh, uh, suffix a with sometimes something in the mid, uh, uh, in between. It's used a lot. It's used a lot. Even very common verbs like to give, the verb to give is core, and it's quite simply the causative of core, which is That's to have. That's an awesome one. The, uh, the it's it's clearly it's yeah it's 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 awesome. It's transparent. It's very transparent. In the same way, the um, the verb to kill, which is raike, mm -hmm. is the causative of rai, which means to, to die. It's very clear, very transparent. If it was a common who made it, we would say, couldn't you have done a little bit more work on that? But uh, no, it's, 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 it's very si simple. So you have the causative, but another part, and, uh, and uh, uh, I, I know some colonists are going to be happy with it, but there are applicatives. Yeah, and there are three of them, and there are, there are three prefixes, and uh, not everybody agrees on what they mean. Because <laughs> the yeah, basically the uh, uh, the book I linked to, well, basically the thesis said that they were basically kind of used in the same way, and it was difficult to find uh, 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 semantic distinctions between the three. Um, the uh, another book that I have access to that I have said disagrees and says that there is a semantic distinction. So basically, you have three applicatives. You have an uh, an O prefix, which uh, basically marks location. So when you add O and then you t you uh, you add another object to the verb which marks location. But location can be very abstract. It can be some kind of location referring to circumstances that were described in uh, in prior sentences before that sentence so it can it can be uh, uh, added to a verb without having um, an object in the sentence referring to it the other applicative which is a it's usually an uh, an instrumental applicative it re it marks means but like o it can also refer to the uh, circumstances of an action and when it and it's actually quite common in that sense. Uh, in that case, it's uh, usually uh, tra uh, uh, translated as something like "thereby" or "because of this" or "for this reason." Uh, and it actually refers to the entirety of the what you've talked about. Uh, that's about that's an interesting. Sorry to cut in. That's an interesting sort of metaphorical uh, extension of instrumental, though, because this, you're breaking down from like yeah this is the tool that's used to do this too. This is the circumstance that caused this to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And last thing is that this A applicative also adds, well, I, I call that adds a level in, in direction of the object. So based, for instance, you have an, uh, a verb itak, 
which means uh, to uh, to speak or to talk or to talk to to talk to someone. Uh, if you add the uh, a applicative to it, a tag, it means to talk about something, and that uh, meaning of about with a is quite common. Uh, all right. So, is that all of them? Yeah. Yeah. The last one is uh, the the third applicative is co. And it mostly marks direction or goal or uh, or dative. So so basically, it uh, um, it's it's used to yeah to mostly to mark goal mainly. And it's the the one that you will most most commonly see uh, uh, with an actual uh, uh, explicitly mentioned object in the sentence. Uh, so. So now you have these applicatives. You have uh, those that's valency increasing uh, uh, stuff. You have some valency decreasing uh, prefixes. The two main ones are yai, which is uh, a reflexive. So it a uh, so to it's it says that the subject and object are the same. So now, one thing that I forgot to mention when I talked about the uh, uh, personal agreement is that you can never have subject and object in a transitive verb having the same person because they use the reflexive for that there is also yeah, there is also u which is a re reciprocal so they sep they distinguish uh, reflexive the two uh, oneself from uh, reciprocal uh, each other and the finally and that's something that i find weird but i've seen in all grammars i've looked at they treat the um the prefixes of the indefinite uh, uh, subject transitive and object uh, transitive as respectively uh, a, uh, a passive and an antipassive, which which is weird because they are, they are used in ways that you could translate it that way, but the uh, the verb uh, valency structure doesn't change. The uh, you, you can use a the the a prefix, which is basically an indefinite uh, subject, is used in ways that are similar to how you would use a passive in English, but the uh, the object doesn't change; it doesn't become the subject. It stays in its object that position. That may just be a weird way of of understanding of of analyzing it, maybe biased by the way it was translated. Because yeah, an an indefinite subject marker is going to look like a passive, and an indefinite object marker is going to look like an anti-passive exactly. in a lot of the uses. So it may just be a weird, like way of handling it. Um, I believe that there are languages that have, like, uh, I'm trying to think. Feel like. Ojibwe has both passives and indefinite subjects. I have to look at the system again to to confirm that. But yeah, like they're not exactly the same thing. You're right, and um, it, yeah, I'd have to look at those analyses to see like why they are deciding that this is a passive marker rather than this is indefinite subject, and it's not going to be in the sentence. Because it's indefinite, yeah. so yeah. I mean, no. it's it's not. <laughs> it in order for it to be a passive construction, it would have to. You'd have to have some evidence that it promotes the object, right? Which, yeah, I'd have to look at the analysis to see if they they have that. So, so you have all these uh, mostly pr uh, uh, prefixes, things that you can add on verbs, and the interesting part in the, is that you can stack them. 
because it's quite productive. And um, uh, I've, uh, I have an example in the other book I, uh, I have, and I, w I want to mention it because it's, uh, it shows what you can do with the INU verb. And uh, it's a sentence that's, a, uh, I'll, I'll just read the sentence. Ainu hean, kamui hean, neanoshkian eiai kouupekere, ukouepekere kane. So it means, was he a human being or was he a god? While in the midst of this, I was thus roaring. In that, I was thus roaring, it's eiai kouepekere. And the verb in there is just peker, which means to be bright or to be clear. And basically, peker, you add a causative, pekere, to, to make bright or to make clear. You add the a applicative, and then the u reciprocal. It made to 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 make clear uh, thereby each other. It oh. has been lexicalized, that, which means to tell a story. So u pekere. Yeah. Then you add ko, and yaiko means towards oneself or to oneself. So it means so ko ko yaiko pekere means to tell a story to oneself, which is itself is lexicalized as to think deeply or to worry. And then you add the A in front, which, well, as I explained, um, is a reference to something previously stated. So it's basically thereby. So mm -hmm. I, thereby I was worrying. And that's just, you know, once. And this is extremely, uh, it's, it's actually extremely productive. Uh, there are plenty of, uh, 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 of ways that the uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the the all these prefixes are used to to change the uh, the the meaning of uh, uh, of verbs. And I had another example, but I can't find it in my notes. Yeah. Can you can you name the book like the the author so that so that um, people can find it in our show notes? Yes, that's the Ainu language, the morphology and syntax of the Shizunai dialect, and it's from, um, uh, let me check the name already, it's Kirsten Refsing. Okay, or something and like that, that will be in yeah. the show notes. Um, my understanding is that's not freely available, so... Um, if no, I, I was lucky to, to, to get my hands on a PDF copy. If you really... <laughs> want to dig deep on Ainu, that's one that maybe you can get it from a library or you can buy it or see if we can get it through the Conlanger's Lending Library, something like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, the, that's another thing is that sometimes with uh, a smaller and endangered language, it's harder to find the free resources. It's it, You find a lot of stuff that um, unfortunately is paywalled or pay for um which sometimes that that feels kind of unfortunate because that means that there's a lot of work done on that language that's not accessible to the people who speak it but uh let's um let's move along then and um yeah yeah one one thing I uh, I said is that uh, uh verbs in Ainu apart from all those affixes do not change at all I kind of miss something is that they do have uh, uh, quite a few verbs have uh, a different form depend, uh, depending on whether they I'll say one of their arguments is singular or plural. I won't be more general about that because it's not always clear and it depends on the dialect okay. when they use and those can be suppletive. 
Um, I'll give you an example in a second. Well, uh, um, a more easiest example is the verb an, which is to to exist. It's the um, the existential and locative uh, to be. Is, is, is the form an is for on a, a singular subject. For a plural subject, the form is okay. Uh, do I have another example of? There are quite a f there there are a, a few of them that. Uh, uh, well, uh, oh yeah, the verb to come, for instance, is uh, ek in the circular, but arki in the plural. The verb to go is oman in the singular and paye in the plural. Uh, for uh, verbs, uh, let me see, I can't find uh, a transitive verb which has that, but the, they are also uh, transitive verbs that do that. And when they go to uh, transitive verbs, uh, they have Plural form is usually for a plural object, not always. Okay, but so some some of them are for subject, most of them are for plural object. That's interesting. I've seen when you were saying uh, like uh, a plural argument. I was I was I was curious about that because there can exist. You know, Ho Truck is like this has a plural marker. That's just if any argument is. Um, is plural, then you get the plural marker. But here you're saying that these are specific verbs. It sounds like very common verbs that have these suppletive forms for either plural subject or plural object, depending on the verb, most of them the object, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the ones with suppletive are like that. There is also a relatively productive suffix pa on, on some verbs. Uh, right. Um, but not all verbs take it, and exactly which ones take it and which that's, ones do not is something you you basically that, need to learn. no. But that's uh, interesting, and it's interesting that we open this saying I knew is mostly pretty agglutinative, and then we get into oh there are some suppletive forms. I think that any language that has any kind of yeah. inflection at all, uh, if you're going the naturalistic route for conlangers. You can throw some suppletion in there. It's not a necessary thing, but even a like a very regular agglutinative language that doesn't have a lot of like weird irregularities could have like a handful of suppletive forms for some category of another, just because that's a thing that can happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, to finish on the singular plural verb pairs, uh, as I mentioned before, when the uh, when you have uh, one of those pairs and the uh, uh, the subject, for instance, is indefinite, it will take the plural form of the verb. So the verb to exist, uh, when we want to say something or someone exists, you use okai. Well, in this case, you would use uh, 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 okayan with the uh, indefinite suffix. So, uh, and that's an interesting thing. The indefinite, at least in most dialects, uh, patterns with the plural. M more on pairs, the um, uh, negative form of verbs is usually formed by a simple uh, uh, adverb, which is somo, which is just added just in front of the verb, except for a few verbs which have um, basically um, a suppletive negative form. And there's only, basically, there's only four of them, and I don't remember where I have put them <laughs> all because I don't know them by heart. <laughs> but I've uh, I've put them somewhere. Suppletive negative forms 
are a funny thing. I put them in a language in one of my first languages and just like I just did the copula to be as suppletive in the negative. And it's sort of an interesting thing of when you're saying the negative of this verb, it's a completely different thing. <laughs> but um, I'm sure that there are, there are somewhere in the materials and people will find that. And it's probably very common verbs, right? Well, I have them now, so I can I can uh, let you know. There is the easkai, uh, uh, which means to be able to do something, to be good at something. The uh, negative is eikap. Uh, the verb to remember is amkir in the uh, in the affirmative, but eram eramiskari in the negative. The verb to understand is eramuan in the affirmative, but erampeutek in the negative. Uh, the verb to be, to exist, that I already mentioned had a, a plural form, as also a negative form. The an is for uh, mm -hmm. affirmatives. The negative is isham. And of course, to have, which is core, has a negative form sak, to not have or to lack. So the five of them, basically. So that's, uh, uh, so those are the ones which have, uh, uh, uh suppletive negative forms. The rest use, uh, somo. But interestingly, when SOMO is used, it can be more made more assertive or more emphatic by, uh, instead of putting SOMO in front of the, them, the verb, put it after the verb and follow with the verb key. SOMO which is means just a do. negative particle? So you have the, uh, the... Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just not. It basically means not. It's also used, used to mean no, but it's basically not. So... Uh, 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 Somo e, somo, uh, somo, uh, somo ie means, uh, uh, he doesn't eat. Ie means he, he eats, uh, somo ie means he doesn't eat. But what you can do if when you want to make it a slightly more, uh, emphatic, you say ie somo ki, which means he does not eat. And what's funny about it is that it turns the, uh, uh it, it's with the verb ki, which means to do. So it turns this Ainu construction into kind of, uh, uh, of, of mirrored form of the, of the English one. It's the only place where this happens, but I thought it was quite funny to see something that somehow looks a bit like English, except that it's still the main verb which takes uh, the, uh, 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 agreement affixes. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's, yeah, do support. Yeah. So uh, they call that do support in syntax, but, uh, but it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, yeah it's, uh, uh, but it's much more limited in Ainu. It's not. It's not a thing like that. The English do support is a weird quirk of English that is not that common. Exactly. The 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 verb key, yeah the verb key in Ainu it does it does get used in uh, um, from uh, emphasis for emphasis. Mm -hmm. So it kind of like in English I do. Uh, I, I do want this, or I do, uh, uh, I did do it, things like that. You see that in Aino as well with key. It's just not as common as in, in English, but it, it, it is there. Except that the key happens after the main verb and doesn't take, uh, any, uh, uh, um, right. Any affixes. Still the main verb that takes everything. So, uh, and in terms of what happens to the verb that, uh, 
directly on the verb. That's the uh, that's basically it. Then you've got everything that happens after the verb, and that's everything else. When you want to do uh, uh, Ainu as a very 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 large uh, 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 number of so-called auxiliaries, uh, which are basically uh, forms that appear after a verb and uh, are do uh, things like evidentiality, um, uh, modality, uh, aspect, mood, uh, whatever you want to, to to say. There are plenty of there's there's it's, it's you have gigantic lists of uh, of available stuff to do, uh, and the Ainu seem to lack at things after verbs. The uh, the main thing they usually do is. Uh, uh, actually nominalize the the verb, adding something like uh, the nominalizer p, which usually a single p or p, uh, which means things, and then adding a lot of stuff after it, or use a few other nominalizers, most of them having some kind of evidential meaning uh, to say that they are they actually something did actually happen, or they were actually there, or they heard about it. It's uh, there. There's a really a lot of stuff, uh, and depending on whether the, it's a plain uh, uh, sentence or it's a question or it's in the imperative, you can end up with um, uh, things that are quite complicated. So, for instance, I have an example in that in order to make some kind of imperative, there are plenty of ways to create imperatives in uh, in Ainu, but mostly you. Remove the uh, uh, the subject marking if there is any. You keep the object marking, and one of the ways once you have that, you add to it kunipta annena, and that's one two. It's it's a bunch of uh, kuni is a uh, uh, is a, I can't remember exactly what it uh, what it means. It's a kind of uh, of conjunction or something like that. P uh, the p is a um, uh, is a nominalizer, and afterwards, what's afterwards? There is a tap. Exactly what it means, I'm not quite sure. An is the uh, um, is the existential verb. Ne is the copula, and na is um, is uh, end an end of sentence clitic, mm -hmm. which can be used for many ways, inclusive, hortative, and sometimes questions. But in this case, it's used with a, uh, as an imperative. It's Kind of, uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, I advise people to look for, uh, to uh, to look for all those things because there's there's uh, like uh, so many of it. I can't remember everything. One thing that's quite interesting is the uh, uh, the form ruene, which uh, uh, ruwe is means basically uh, is the possessive form of ru, which is means strike of trace, and ne is the sim quite simply the uh, the copula. And it's a kind of an uh, evidential that says that uh, something did happen because the uh, the the person who's speaking uh, actually uh, uh, lived through it. They they saw it, so they basically basically lived through it. They are they 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 were there firsthand. They have firsthand experience of it. But in the Shinzunai dialect, in the book I have, this ruene form is used so commonly that is nearly completely lost any form of um, of evidential meaning and is just a mark of end of utterance yeah which basically says uh, i'm finished talking it's your turn that's that's an interesting thing for that to happen so you can have sort of sentence final or utterance final particles that end up 
occur like that. That's an interesting thing. Uh, where are we actually in the notes? I think we've. I think we've. Uh, we are. We are. We are mostly through the the verbs. Um, yeah, we mostly through the. And, and and there's so much so much happening. And and in most sentences, the uh, verbs take uh, really most of the of, of the space in a in an Ainu sentence. So that's why it's important. Yeah. It's. It's an interesting thing, actually. It seems to be common in uh, highly synthetic languages or languages with any inflection for verbs to be highly inflected. It's not like if nouns are inflected, usually verbs are too, to some degree. Um, but like verbs tend to just like pile on a bunch of things. It's It's an interesting sort of fact in language i wonder I, I i don't know about theories about why that is if there's a uh, psychological reasons people have proposed or or things about how language works that people have proposed but it it's it is a pattern that i tend to see when you have a lot of morphology a lot of it's on the verbs yeah uh, one thing I can mention on these auxiliaries that I found really interesting is that uh, the way uh, Ainu marks uh, uh, the durative aspect and the completive aspect is with um, is by adding to the verb uh, a little thing uh, with the wa um, mm -hmm. conjunction, which may basically mean end, and either the, the affirmative or negative form of the existential verb. So wa'an, which means so and it exists, or wa'isham, which means and it doesn't exist. And adding wa'an to a verb makes it durative, and what adding wa'isham to a verb makes it uh, completive mm -hmm. or a perfect aspect, as you uh, if if you want. So basically, to do something and it exists means to keep doing something. Oh, okay. To do something and it doesn't exist means to yeah, have done something. That makes sense. Yeah, that's 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 clear in a sense. Like I like I said, uh, a lot of those uh, uh, forms are quite uh, are quite transparent, and I was just in the process of being grammaticalized, at least at the time when the uh, uh, and basically we are frozen at that stage since uh, unfortunately the language is not really spoken anymore. So it's 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 quite interesting, and so I I, I advise people to really look at the uh, uh, at the uh, uh, PDF that we're going to link to because there is a lot of, of 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 those, and you can see everything that that you can do with uh, with those forms. If they can find the book on the Shinazunai dialect, have a look at yeah. it because it has a list which is basically ten times as long of these uh, of these uh, auxiliaries kind of yeah. stuff. Speaking of the uh, Shizunai dialect, you had a big thing that you you were basing on that book about the numeral yeah. system, and you know I, I don't talk about them as as much as I used to, but I still like interesting numeral systems. So let's just give the quick rundown of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite an interesting one. Um, and and uh, that's good to do because the document uh, we're looking to didn't mention the numerals at all. Uh, Ainu number system is vigesimal, so it goes uh, it it uh, uh, it doesn't have tens; it has twenties. It starts uh, uh, quite normally, 
but it has an added weirdness in that some some forms are formed subtractively rather than additively. So we'll start with number from one to ten. They are they are quite simple. They are shine, tu re ine ashikne i one r one tu pesan shine pesan and one. Uh, and if you have noticed, the number for six to nine seems to be formed subtractively. So e one is from from uh, one is ten e one is six uh, ine is is four so e one is four from ten uh, ine the ne in ine is probably the copula by the way uh, r one well we had re uh, 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 is three r one three from ten two pesan and shine pesan that's quite clear two is uh, 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 two and pesan is probably another f an, an alternative root for ten so two pesan two from uh, 10 and shine pesan one from 10, so nine. So above t above 10, it's uh, you put the uh, 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 the unit in front of the 10 mm -hmm. with the word uh, ikasma in between, which basically means on top of. So shine ikasma one, that's 11. Two ikasma one, that's uh, uh, 12. Re ikasma one. And notice I'm saying inkasma or inkasma depends on the dialect how the s is pronounced at the end of a uh, of a syllable. But basically, you need before 10. 20 is simply hot or hot ne. The ne is probably the copula. And then you add the units simply shine ikashma hot ne, tu ikashma hot ne, etc. It's vigesimal, so 40 is too hot ne, 2 times 20. Strangely enough, interestingly enough, 30 is 1a to hot ne, which means basically 10 from 40. And uh, it's subtractive. Just, just to highlight people this this is not some misspeaking the word for two is two it's just a, a coincidence it's yeah so yeah yes, it, yes, they it didn't is. borrow any english it's a coincidence yes two is, uh, two is native two. i knew <laughs> no yeah no it's it's yeah so so basically like i said 30 is 10 to to uh, 10 from 40 so 1a to hotney 40 is to hotney um, yeah. 50 is then one ere hotne, 60 is re hotne, etc. And, uh, uh, adding the, the, uh, the units is still, you add the unit in front. So, uh, uh, shine ikasma one e to hotne yeah. is 31. Um, uh, the numbers of, yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and finish that thought. Yeah, the, yeah, the, um, the numbers are used as, as in, as is, they are used attributively only. So you, you put them directly in front of a noun. Uh, but Ainu also has a very rudimentary classifier system, uh, uh, where the numbers can, uh, can be given the suffix, uh, p or p, which is, uh, which forms an, uh, numerals adding, uh, used with things or animals. Yeah. Or the suffix is n, a single n or u, and that depends on which, on the number which, uh, uh, uh suffix is added, which is used to count people. And uh, when you use them, you need to add the uh, the suffix to all numbers. So, for instance, uh, 11 is shine ikasma one p ikasma one, but with the p uh, uh, suffix, it becomes shinep ikasma one p, and with the uh, for for people is shinen ikasma one u. Uh, those classifier num numerals are plain nouns. They are used on their own, or they are opposed after the, no, the mm -hmm. noun they mark for number. That's that's interesting, and um, it's it's a kind of classifier system that you you never you're not necessarily thinking about because uh, 
like we often will say that classifier systems are characterized by having lots of classifiers, but that's not really necessarily the case. There are a lot of languages that have two or three or four classifiers only. Maybe they've lost some, or maybe they're just gaining them, something like that. Um, the thing that I feel should be taken away from this numeral system, just to, to, to wrap up that, that thing as, as something, is when you're talking about natural languages, and thus when you're thinking about making something naturalistic, as soon as you're thinking about a vegetable system, it's usually going to be more complicated than just straight vegesimal. It's going to have, you know, Ainu's got these like subtractive numerals and things. Um, usually vegesimal systems that I've seen are some kind of hybrid. They've got a base 10, even a base 5 embedded in there. I mean, uh, Christophe, your native language, French, has a hybrid vigesimal and and decimal system right exactly exactly from uh, from the number 70s to uh, to 90 is vigesimal but uh, around that is, is purely yeah. decimal although it's yeah it's it's very limited in french but it it exists but when you have something that has vigesimal it's going to be like a weird hybrid it's going to have odd like things uh to it usually um so it's something that conlangers can keep in mind when they're thinking about their number system. Even that is not yeah. the most like rare kind of thing that can happen in a number system. You have you have uh, very very um, interesting things that are like way out of the uh, of the normal bases that we have. But usually, a vegetable system is going to be a bit complicated. One thing I can uh, mention as last about the nouns is uh, the the numbers is the way uh, the Ainu count days, which is basically very weird. The uh, they 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 uh, start with words that mix the number and the day. The word for day is to, and the one day is shineto. Two days is tutko. Notice that it's become tutko. Three days is rerko, and then. Mm -hmm. It goes all weird, and four days is inerarko, five days is ashiknerarko, so four days is four, three days, ashiknerarko is five, three days, and rerko is then, which in principle means three days, is used as a kind of plural form of day. It's used also in forms to mean many days or things like that. So, very weird. Some, suddenly we have some kind of dual stuff going on with the, uh, 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 days. I don't know. It's it's weird, and it's it's probably something that's fossilized from some other stage of the language because, yeah. you know, counting days is a common thing, and calendar systems sort of intrude on that too. That you get like different ways of counting days involved. It's it it can get interesting. Um, I think that I think we've covered most of the stuff that we had notes about um and we're yeah yeah things that I, yeah things that i can add is that ainu has a topic marker uh, anak anak or anakne which once again that ne is a copula the copula uh, pops up nearly everywhere to adding added for some reason uh, on many uh, on many particles 
uh, it's not used as much as the uh, equivalent uh, topic marker in Japanese, the, the Japanese wa. Uh, there is also another marker which is ka, which is co corresponds nearly exactly in terms of meaning to the uh, to mo in Japanese, even in forming. Uh, well, even it's also used to form uh, uh, indefinite pronouns. You know, something, someone. Uh, a little bit like uh, uh, mo is used in, Jap in Japanese from uh, uh, question words to form to form also some some uh, uh, some pronouns, but uh, that ka is also used nearly everywhere. You you see pop, pop, uh, popping up everywhere, especially in negative sentences for reasons that I'm not exactly sure of. Yeah, la one last thing that I not noted is that the, um, there are two ways of translating end between verbs. Okay. Wa is if is when the first verb is affirmative and no when it's negative. It's it's a, it's a it's a thing that's there, that's uh, that's interesting for people who want to uh, uh, to look at ways to uh, to coordinate the verbs and think that just having end is uh, uh, is too boring. Well, that's a way to do it. I do want to say, I think it, we, we kind of have framed it this way at the beginning, and we may not want, we may, we may to want to reinforce. We have done a lot of things of comparing Ainu to Japanese, um, but, you know, reiterating, it is, a, it is completely unrelated, isolate. And to the extent that there are similarities that mean anything it's probably a sprachbund maybe there are there there's probably loan words in between two uh so but um yeah and and just one thing don't forget that um ainu was recorded at a time where it was basically dying where the all the the speakers of ainu were 90 yes. or more hadn't spoken the language for, for uh, sometimes for decades uh, spoke otherwise only Japanese, so it is possible that their Japanese has influenced uh, their uh, uh, um, basically their uh, their knowledge of 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 their native language. Yes. Things like that happen or common with languages that are critically endangered. So, uh, so, so uh, although in this case, especially in the text case of the uh, uh, the book, uh, the uh, uh, PDFs, you'll be linked to. This comes from traditional um, uh, uh, Ainu stories. Uh, Ainu, Ainu basically was never a written language, but they have, the Ainu have had had a, a very very vibrant uh, um, uh, oral literature with actual, uh, which uh, with uh, stories which could be very extremely long, like pages, hundreds of pages of, of stories, entire epics. That would be uh, transmitted uh, uh, orally, and uh, luckily we've uh, recorded quite a lot of them. And the uh, description of Ainu that you have it comes from uh, from from those kind of texts, and so it's relatively traditional Ainu. That, I would say. That's interesting. There's probably a lot of like poetic forms that we haven't had time to go over in in those those as well. Yes, it's 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 quite complicated the way uh, uh, since it's uh, it's basically oral literature. They use very specific ways of of uh, of forming uh, sentences and structures and refrains to to make it easier to uh, uh, to remember. 
But one thing I would say to people, do look, uh, uh, we'll link also to the, to, to the text. It's a separate PDF. Do look at it because the texts are fully glossed. They're fully interlinearized. So that's fantastic. You see exactly what it looks like. Right. So you can do some analysis of your own. Yeah, exactly. But um, thank you, Christophe, for, for talking about INU. I think we are going to have to um, stop it here. But uh, we are, we'll have a few links and a few citations in the, uh, in the show notes for you guys to peruse. Uh, you, can, you have a few that are free. And then we have that, that book. I think I have another book someone suggested to me that I'll go ahead and, and put in the show notes. Uh, although I uh, hadn't, didn't have as much time to like integrate stuff from it. Um, and you know this it's a very interesting language as uh christoph said one of the things that would be interesting for conlangers is the transparency of the grammatical grammaticalization because anytime that you can look at a language where there's transparent grammaticalization that just generates ideas for you if you're going to do the historical route, because it'll be like, okay, this can come from, you know, this, this affix can come from this, this verb. Uh, so that's, that's something to be looking at. And just in general, looking at, you know, the overall structure and stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks Christoph. And uh, anything, any last things you want to say before we sign off? Um, I'll just say uh, finding uh, uh, good uh, resources on Ainu can be relatively difficult because most of it is either in Japanese or is not uh, available for free. I'll just say avoid anything where the name uh, uh, Bachelor appears except if it's uh, to, uh, uh, to, to say that he was doing uh, uh, talking nonsense. It's basically Bachelor was the first one to uh, 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 write a so-called dictionary and grammar of, uh, of Ainu back at the beginning of the 20th century. But basically, he was, uh, uh, he, that's what he made was pure nonsense. He tried to... Uh, basically try to argue that uh, Ainu was Indo-European and you can guess that uh, everything he did afterwards was, was based on that and was just nonsense. His translations don't don't work at all. His, uh, some of the information, uh, basically, uh, like a broken clock, he's sometimes right, but that's, uh, uh, but that's uh, really nonsense. So basically avoid him like the pests and try only to get something that to, to find information that's uh, from the 80s forward, basically. Okay, so from the 80s forward, try to avoid that that guy because, I mean, <laughs> there there's going to be that guy for every language isolate, I think, that's going to try to lump it in with something that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but we have plenty of stuff right here for you and um, relatively recent stuff that will... That will also cite things further back if you want to dig deeper on that. You don't need, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's I knew and uh, some interesting things to be thinking about. Uh, 
thank everyone for listening and thank all our patrons for supporting us. And I'm going to say happy conlaying. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Conlangery is supported by our listeners. Thank you to Margaret Ransdell Green, Graham Hill, Ezekiel Fordsmender, and all our patrons who support us at patreon.com slash conlangery. Conlangery is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike license. You are free to use or adapt our work for any non-commercial purpose as long as you credit Conlangery Podcast and release any derivative works under the same license. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society. Our site was designed by Bianca Richards, and our theme music is by Null Device.